MacCast, Sunday, May 15th, 2022. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of Mac news, hints, tips, tricks, all the goings-ons in our little Apple Mac community. How are you doing? Hopefully you are having a great, wonderful day. Things are going pretty well here in MacCast land, I have to say. Yeah, uh, had a little bit of weather this week. Actually, uh, part of my move, something that's been great, is moving to a place where we actually have seasons, a little bit of spring. I had to get out and do some mowing of the lawn, not something that uh, I had to do all that much in dry California, Southern California. But hey, uh, it was fun. I got to get out and uh, it was a nice weekend. So I hope you had a nice weekend as well. Looking through the news and things, it is that time of year where we're in a little bit of a holding pattern as we get toward Worldwide Developer Conference. Uh, those of you who've been around long enough are kind of familiar with that. So there's not a lot going on, but we do have a few things to talk about. Uh, we're going to get into Mac supplies and why you might want to pick up a Mac sooner than later if you're uh, in the market for one. We're going to talk about the end of an era. Yeah, a little bit of sad news this week to talk about. Nothing too serious, but, you know, one of our favorite products is not going to be around uh, anymore, unfortunately. We've got uh, changes to Apple's lineup going on, uh, basically employee changes, a little bit of cycling to discuss, and then we're going to get into some iPhone rumors, as you might imagine. I mean, we're getting towards the fall here, and uh, iPhones are right around the corner. And then we'll round things out with a little bit of Apple TV news. And then uh, we're going to get into some of your listener feedback. We have uh, some great feedback from the community on some of the things we've been talking about recently here on the MacCast. And then we have a question about Time Machine. And I've got a pretty neat thing of the moment, I think, uh, to share with you. So it should be a great episode. Let's just dive right into things. Kicking off talking about max and they're getting a little bit harder to come by uh things have been going on if you've been paying attention the supply chain for a while i think we've been talking about this for a little bit supply chain is uh tight right things have been happening and apple so far has seemed to avoid the bulk of it but now they appear to be getting hit a little bit harder over the past year I would say outside of iPad, Apple stayed largely ahead of the curve when it came to supply chain. I'm guessing they had a pretty large lead time, a lot of contracts in place, and that helped them kind of stay one step ahead just slightly. You know, they were impacted by it a little bit. But this year, things do seem to be changing. We have reports that Quanta, Apple's supplier in Shanghai for their MacBook Pro models, the 14-inch and 16-inch M1 Max, M1 Pro systems um, have only been able to bring their production capacity back to around 30% following 
lockdowns there. Uh, that's according to DigiTimes reports. They do say that they're hoping to slowly bring capacity back to 50%, but I mean, even 50% capacity, right? That means there's going to be shortages. There's going to be delays. And this is happening all the way through the supply chain. So even component parts that are coming in, those suppliers are being impacted. And as you probably can imagine, the entire chain is really interconnected. So as things slow down at one end, uh, manufacturing slows down at the other, shipping delays, all those sorts of things start to come together and there is a slowdown. So right now, if you try to go purchase one of Apple's pre-configured MacBook Pro models, it seems like things are backed up maybe into late June or early July. And if you're going to do a customization, it's probably going to be even longer. And things are looking like they are going to get worse before they get better. So really, if you're in the market for a new Mac, you probably want to get your order in as quickly as possible. Uh, at this point, according to another report by Macworld in the U.S., it's only the older M1 systems, the Mac Mini, the 24-inch iMac, and the 13-inch MacBook Pro that are available for immediate shipping. If you want any of the other Mac models, uh, things like the MacBook Pros, a Mac Studio, or even a new studio display, you better be prepared to wait up to about 11 weeks at this point. And again, those lead times probably could grow. And I also expect that this is going to spill over into other Apple products. Uh, Tim Cook talked about at the last quarterly results call how iPad had been impacted. And I would imagine iPhone is going to get hit as well. Although Apple has been planning the past year, as you might imagine, with new iPhones coming for that scenario. So uh, I'm sure they've built up some supplies of components and parts and things like that for the launch of the iPhone 14s, but I would assume that those are going to be a little bit in short supply when we get to the fall as well. So just overall, it's a global thing. It's impacting everybody. It's not really just Apple. So uh, we just need to be aware of it. And if you are, again, in the market for new systems, new products coming from Apple, just be prepared to be a little bit more patient than we've had to be in the past. This, again, not a super serious thing, but, you know, something that is impacting our community. This week, Apple announced the discontinuation of the iPod Touch, and that means that there's no more iPods, folks. Yeah, it marks the end of an era. A little bit sad to think about it, but wow, what a great run for iPod. Uh, not long after the announcement, Apple stores and Apple's online stores began to sell out of the iPod Touch. Apple said it would be available while supplies last. If you're an iPod Touch fan, you might want to start looking. Uh, there seems to be some still available from third-party vendors and retailers. But yeah, they're going to be harder and harder to get your hands on. A collector's item at this point. I have a few iPods floating around. I think I have a um, an original uh, iPod photo. Uh, 40 gigabyte one. Unfortunately, my original iPod um, from 2001, the Firewire one, 
died and I sold it for parts. Yeah, something that I regret even to this day. Sold it for parts on eBay. Uh, got a pretty good price for it, but uh, yeah, I wish I, I actually wish I had that iPod back. Um, but my iPods still work. I think I have a couple nanos floating around, a shuffle here and there. Yeah, but no more iPod. Um, Greg Joswiak said the spirit of the iPod lives on in Apple Music integrated products like the iPhone, the Apple Watch, HomePod Mini, and across the Mac, iPad, and Apple TV. I guess also technically in your car with CarPlay, but it's still not the same. It's really hard to believe that the first iPod came out almost 21 years ago on in October of 2001 and you know changed the world it really really did it made an impact if you were around back then and using mp3 players you remember paying a lot of money for something that held what amounted to one cd's worth maybe of mp3s you got maybe about eight songs there was the um the creative jukebox is that what it was called the one that actually did have a you know laptop hard drive in it and that actually had uh, a good amount of storage but outside of that and it was huge you know about the size of a, a cd a portable cd player at the time but outside of that you know you really didn't have much and then apple came in with a thousand songs in your pocket i remember that announcement from steve jobs the first ipod touch was actually released in 2007 so you know a little bit newer there and the current version of the ipod touch with a home button no touch id a four inch screen and Apple's A10 Fusion chip. Yeah, that thing has an A10 in it. We're on A15 now, so several generations old, and that came out in 2019, and Apple really hasn't updated it since. So I would say it's not too surprising. I think we saw the writing on the wall. The iPod was eventually going to go away, most people using their iPhones and other products at this point. But I know there's a lot of fans out there, so I'd be curious to hear from you. You know, I know we have people in our community that use iPod touches to this day. And they're not going to go away in terms of functionality. I would imagine Apple's going to support them for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, like I said, I can still plug in my Nano. I think I can still plug in that iPod photo. Uh, I haven't tried it in a while, but I think about a year ago, I was able to plug it in and still use it with my Mac. So still supported. I, uh, you'll still be able to load your songs and, and those sorts of things on it, but it'll be a little bit more difficult, I would imagine as we move forward right it's going to be one of those legacy products and uh you won't see them around too much uh outside of probably museums going forward but again it has a great history and so you know a little bit of sadness in our hearts we say goodbye to the ipod and i'd love to hear from you i'd love to hear your ipod stories let's share some of those uh you know i have a few i'll try to have to think back on uh, different moments I had with with various iPods. I remember going to the beach with the first Nano that had a video camera and testing out the video cameras. I think that video probably still is somewhere up on my YouTube channel, um, comparing the video from the iPod uh, Nano to the iPhone. So check that out if you get a chance. And again, please share your iPod stories, MacCast at gmail.com. 
Things are shaking up with Apple's staff this week. There were a few reports this week of changes uh, to staffing and roles that are likely going to impact the future direction of projects at Apple. Business Insider said that Eddie Q has decided that Apple's advertising business is, quote, big enough to live on its own. I guess I didn't realize it wasn't living on its own, or at least in its own area or department. I thought they had uh, sort of done that already. In case you weren't aware, Apple does have advertising inside the App Store, also inside Apple News, and it looks like to that end, they have reportedly uh, put Apple's advertising vice president, Todd Teresi, in charge of that piece of the business uh, starting at the beginning of this year. And that reportedly has freed up Apple's vice president of services, Peter Stern, to really stay focused on Apple's services business, including video, news, books, iCloud Fitness, uh, or iCloud Fitness Plus, and Apple One. And considering the growth that we've seen in services over the past couple of years, and especially the growth we heard about last quarter at Apple's quarterly results call, I would imagine this was a pretty good decision on Eddie Q's part. That part of the business is growing massively. And uh, I think we talked about this. It's like the second largest part of Apple's business behind iPhone at this point. Um, so probably a good choice to make that little change. A Verge reporter, Zoe Schiffer, also sent out a tweet this week saying that Ian or Ian Goodfellow, Apple's director of machine learning, is leaving over Apple's new return to work policy. He reportedly believed strongly that more flexibility would have been better for his team. And I guess because Apple has decided not to go to that route, he is choosing to leave the company. Apple is having Apple Park based employees return to the office on Monday, Tuesdays and Thursdays. They have the option for, I believe, um, Wednesday or Friday, and uh, that's just not working out for him. So he has decided to move on. No word on where he might be going. Uh, again, this came through a tweet, so I'm taking it with a little bit of a grain of salt, but I'm assuming, you know, coming from The Verge, it likely is happening, and that will shake up Apple's machine learning team, which is responsible for cool technologies like uh, the photo recognition in the Photos app. So hopefully that doesn't slow that development down because I think Apple uh, really needs that kind of technology. It's also driving Siri and making Siri better and a lot of other areas of the business. So we'll have to see if they uh, find a replacement and when. But then finally, the last little bit of shakeup in Apple's teams, Apple's head of film marketing for Apple TV Plus, J.P. Richards, has resigned. This is according to Variety. Richards came to Apple in January of 2021 from Warner Brothers Pictures, where he was co-president in worldwide marketing. It's unclear at this point where Richards is going to go, but he's rumored to be pursuing other opportunities, and Apple is actively looking for his replacement. We've discussed pretty often over the past few weeks, months, the rumors of Apple making the iPhone 14 Pro models of uh, the iPhone notchless, getting rid of the notch. They're moving to this pill plus hole punch design, according to the rumors, and it's the belief of 9to5Mac and others that uh, by doing that, it's going to allow a little more screen real estate. We're going to be able to nudge up into the notch area, getting a slightly taller display and potentially letting us use that space or letting Apple use that space on the notch or where the notch was for the display again. Well, display analyst Ross Young supposedly has the new specs uh, on what the displays will be and released them this week, but 
it's not that big a difference, uh, to say the least, with the emphasis on least. For the Pro model, uh, the just iPhone 14 Pro, going from the 13 Pro to the 14 Pro, uh, according to the specs, it looks like it's going to go from 6.06 inches to 6.12 inches. And then for the Pro Max models, from 6.68 inches to 6.69. So not really any kind of usable change. In fact, it's believed that Apple won't do anything with the operating system to make use of that little extra area on the display. Not surprising, that's, uh, you know, a micro amount of space. So unfortunately, if you were hoping to get that percentage back in the status bar, it's probably not going to happen. You never know, Worldwide Developer Conference is right around the corner, so maybe we might see something. But yeah, it doesn't really look like we're going to end up with extra usable space. We're just not going to have the notch in there. So I don't know how I feel about that. I'm trying to trying to think about it, right? Because there's the controversy over the notch. Everybody hated the notch, and I think we've gotten used to it. I actually never really minded it that much. Um, and everybody was hoping, hey, if we go away from the notch, we're going to get some space back, right? We're going to get some functionality back that we lost when the notch came into play. Yeah, looking like it's not going to happen. So, again, I'm okay with it. I don't miss the notch. I, I, I'm going to be curious to see how I feel once I see this new pill hole punch design in person. I'm sure it's going to be fine, just like the notch was just fine. There's going to be people who are going to complain about the change. There's going to be people that love the change. And, uh, you know, our community will just figure it out. But uh, new design is always kind of fun, uh, new changes, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how Apple handles everything from the UI perspective. I would imagine they treat it much in the same way they currently treat the notch, especially for, like, video and those sorts of things. You could choose to have the pill and hole punch inside your video, or you can choose to letterbox it out. And that'll be probably about it. But sounding like we're not going to get any kind of big UI changes related to it, uh, at least according to current rumors. The bigger change for iPhone may be one that's coming next year with the launch of the iPhone 15 models. Ming-Chi Kuo claims that next year will be the year that Apple finally ditches the lightning connector, the lightning port, in favor of USB-C. The concerns over losing lightning, uh, at least from Apple's perspective, would be the large existing accessory market, but it sounds like they have a plan for that, and also potentially less water resistance, although I would imagine on that one they can kind of figure that out with USB-C, um, but we'll have to see. They have been getting a lot of pressure, especially in the EU and within other countries, for standardizing smartphone and device connectors, and that might be forcing Apple's hand a little bit, but I have a feeling... It's more about it's just time, right? We've gone to USB-C every other place other than the iPhone. And, uh, you know, one more year of lightning seems to make sense in transitioning to USB-C. We've been through connector transitions before with the iPhone, moving from Apple's 30-pin connector to the lightning connector. And, you know, you're going to have adapters. You're going to have dongles. People are going to not like that for a little while, but you'll eventually get over it. And, uh, we'll just have USB-C as the standard for all of our products, which will be nice in the long run. As a matter of fact, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman also confirmed that Apple is indeed 
testing out USB-C iPhone designs along with developing a USB-C to lightning adapter that would let newer devices work with older accessories. I would imagine CarPlay is a big one that Apple is concerned about. Uh, Plug-in CarPlay is still a thing. I just got a brand new car, 2022 model, and uh, that's how I have to connect if I want to use CarPlay. Wireless CarPlay isn't really out there and ubiquitous, so you're going to have to have some sort of adapter for that. But I would imagine not too complicated. Ming-Chi Kuo also claimed that future accessories like AirPods, MagSafe battery packs, uh, your Magic Keyboard, Magic Mouse, Magic Trackpad would all eventually also switch to USB-C in the, quote, foreseeable future. Again, not surprising to me that Apple would want to standardize on a single connector, a single cable. Uh, good not only for consumers, but also probably good for their bottom line in terms of ordering components, right? If you're ordering all the same connector, you're not having to get extra lightning connectors. You can buy more in bulk, more volume, and get better deals. So uh, expect that to happen probably next year. This year's iPhone will probably retain the, um, it's looking very much like it's going to retain the lightning connector. And then finally in the news for this week, may, we may finally see an updated Apple TV. It's been a little while, but this is according to Ming-Chi Kuo. He said in a tweet that Apple has plans to release an updated Apple TV in the second half of 2022. What's the big new feature? He says, quote, improvements in cost structure. Seriously, I think a more aggressive price point on Apple TV is likely the biggest thing that Apple could do to drive the device and uh, get it to be more popular amongst consumers. It is certainly pricey. The current Apple TV Plus 4K models start at US 179 and uh, one and then go to 199 respectively depending upon whether you want 32 gigabytes or 64 gigabytes of storage and that is a lot more expensive than set-top boxes from Apple's competition and has been for a while. Now, granted, uh, the Apple TV uh, has more features, has more functionality. I think we did a whole segment here on the MacCast about it. I think there's value there, but is it enough value, especially considering the fact that Apple has placed now the Apple TV app on a lot of those competing devices and built it right into a lot of smart TVs. So there's been less and less reason for someone to just get an Apple TV set-top box, um, but Apple may be looking to change that by adjusting the price point. Now, Quo doesn't mention what the price point will be, but my personal opinion is that they need to get it back down to having a sub $100 starting price. I think 99 bucks is probably the right price point, at least for the entry-level model. It'd be nice if they went even lower, got it down into that $50 price point, but I don't know that Apple would be willing to go that low. We've heard nothing about if there's going to be a form factor change. Are they going to do a stick? Or are they going to stick with the little brick? You know, this the square puck that they have now. Um, nothing there, but we had heard rumors in the past that Apple was working on developing an integrated Apple TV product to combine the HomePod, a FaceTime camera, and Apple TV all into a single device. Of course, that's not going to be a sub $100 entry-level product, but we might see the expansion of the entire lineup to include a low-priced Apple TV, something at an entry point for the masses, and then on the higher end, this integrated 
premium offering, bringing the ultimate living room experience and sort of having that full product line. And Apple likes to do that with their products as they mature. I think, you know, the now discontinued iPod is a great example of that. We sort of had, you know, the iPod introduced and then it exp- Apple slowly expanded the line over time with the Shuffle and the Nano and you had different price points and sort of something for everyone. And I could see Apple bringing that to their living room product as well in the form of the Apple TV. So it'll be interesting to see what Apple does with the Apple TV later this year. That's when it is expected. And I am personally looking forward to it. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor, and that is Hunter Douglas. You know, who doesn't love to live well? To be perfectly at ease in comfort and in style, Hunter Douglas can help you do just that with their innovative window shades, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems so advanced that they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Perhaps it's the way shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow across your room or maybe being able to enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. Or maybe it's the superior insulation that shades provide, keeping you warmer in winter and cooler in summer, lowering your utility bills. Or it's simply that Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything about it looks and feels just right. And when you tap into Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, your shades can be set to adjust automatically, reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. And what's great about Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology to me is it's HomeKit compatible, and that means you can easily integrate it with your Apple lifestyle, your home app, your iOS devices, your Macs, your home pods. You can build automations to fully control your Hunter Douglas window shades, and that is incredibly cool. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Right now, for a limited time, you can take advantage of generous rebate savings opportunities on select styles. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash MacCast today for details. That's HunterDouglas.com slash MacCast. And a big thank you to Hunter Douglas for their support of the show. Every week here on the MacCast, we discuss a number of topics surrounding issues and questions and things in our community. And I've covered many, many things over the past few weeks and asked for feedback. Well, Randy this week came back with a little bit of a triple play. He has been listening for the past few weeks and decided to comment on a few different things we've been discussing. So I wanted to uh, share his feedback and his comments with you now. Hi, Adam. This is Randy in Phoenix, Arizona. Longtime listener and big fan of the MattCast. Over the past couple episodes, you've covered a few topics and asked people if they wouldn't mind sending in an audio comment. So if it's okay, I thought I would combine all three into one comment. The the oldest one that you talked about was people looking for alternatives to the 27-inch iMac since it has been discontinued. And I was in that same camp. I was hoping for a new 27-inch to upgrade my 2017 27-inch iMac. And I ended up deciding that I didn't want to spend what it costs to get the new studio monitor and computer. Um, long story short, I decided to get a 
24-inch iMac with two terabytes of SSD. I found one on eBay for a good deal compared to the new prices. And admittedly, for the first week, maybe two weeks, it was a little odd working on a smaller than 27-inch monitor. However, I got used to it pretty quickly, and having had the setup now for maybe almost a month, it was the right decision for me. Um, I just didn't want to spend the money for the new studio gear. This new computer with the M1, it's so much faster than my old 27-inch iMac, and I'm okay with the 24-inch screen. Now, having said that, if they come out with a 27-inch Apple Silicone iMac, I may find myself upgrading, but uh, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. Okay, the other item you asked about was personal finance software. And since no one has mentioned this one um, subsequently, I will throw uh, a recommendation out for personal capital. I have been a many, many year user of Quicken and uh, on, on PCs and Mac. Um, for maybe four or five years, I used iBank, which then turned into Banktivity. And I eventually switched over to personal capital. I think it's just fantastic. It is similar to Mint. Um, works better for me. I like the interface. I like the investment tracking that it does. Um, you mentioned a product the other day that it was free if you manually entered your data. Well, that's the beauty of personal capital. It's totally free to use and it syncs everything really well. Um, does a great job. You can categorize, split transactions, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't have as much flexibility as, say, Quicken, but um, I, I actually find I prefer it far more than Quicken and Banktivity. Okay, and uh, lastly, you asked for finder tips and tricks. One that I use fairly common or fairly regularly is if you grab a file or files or folder or something in the finder with your mouse and you're going to drag it somewhere, if you click down and hold the option key on your keyboard, you can copy it instead of moving it. So one more tip and trick for the finder. Have a good one. Thanks. Hey, Randy, thank you so much. And I knew I was going to miss a really good Finder tip. That is a great one, one that I use quite frequently. So thanks for sending that one in. Also appreciate the recommendation for a personal banking app and your feedback on the 27-inch iMac and what to get for a replacement. And I found it very interesting, your comments about adapting eventually to the smaller screen size. And, and I think a lot of people would feel the same way. So Certainly appreciate you sharing your opinions there. I also received some additional tips and feedback from Robert as well, this via email. Um, he had a finder tip, again, another one that I never thought about, but I think this is certainly very clever. We talked about uh, the trick where you can turn on the accessibility option so that when you wiggle your cursor, or jiggle your mouse, the cursor enlarges so you can find it on the display should you kind of misplace it, something that I do more frequently than I'd probably like to admit. But Robert says an alternate way you can find the cursor without having to enable that feature is if you lose it on the screen, just right-click or control-click because most apps will have a contextual menu that pops up. So just do that, and then the contextual menu makes it easy to find the cursor on the screen. And I thought that was a great 
thing, something that I had not thought about. And then we also discussed uh, how to use an older iMac as potentially as a display. We talked about uh, Luke Miani, the YouTuber who had converted an old iMac into a 27-inch iMac, 5K iMac, basically into a studio display. And uh, how Apple used to have the display option where you could use an old iMac as a display took that away. And uh, Robert says, hey, as an alternative, there's a product out there. And I've known about this uh, Luna Display. And I'll have a link to this in the show notes at MacCast.com. It allows you to use a Mac or an iPad, um, like an old iMac, as a second display. Does it wirelessly with some software. So it uses an app, a USB-C dongle. They also have a mini DisplayPort dongle because you need to have one that's specific to whatever Mac um, you're trying to uh, use to connect. And basically, you put the dongle on the Mac that you want to send the display signal to. You install an app on that Mac and then also an app on your host system, be it an, an iPad or, an, uh, or another Mac on that host machine. And then you can use that as a display. Um, so I think it uses basically like, I want to say VNC technology. Um, it also can be used if you want to run a Mac headless. So say you have a Mac mini and you don't want to have a display connected to it. You can use this as an option and then, you know, use your iPad as the display to control that. Uh, it does cost about $120, $119 US to get the little adapter and uh, it again, you have to have the correct adapter. So if you don't have USB-C, uh, you have to have mini display port on your Mac to use the mini display port adapter. I think they also have an HDMI adapter for PCs. Um, so you can use this with PCs as well. Uh, is a nice option and certainly something worth looking into. So uh, thank you, Robert, for that suggestion as well. And there you go. Some great feedback from our community always coming through with us with uh, suggestions and alternate options to things that we're talking about here on the MacCast. So just keep that coming. Uh, you know, you don't have to send it right after. I know sometimes, hey, it's podcasting, right? Sometimes people don't get to a show for several weeks, something like that. Don't be afraid to uh, give us some feedback on something a little bit older and, and even bundle it up like Randy. The only thing I ask is you do keep your audio comments a little bit brief. Try to keep them around two or three minutes. Just makes it easier for me to share them here on the show. But I look forward to your additional feedback. Received a question from Rick this week related to Time Machine. He wrote in to ask about removing files from Time Machine backup uh, to kind of get space back from the Time Machine drive. Now, specifically, what he was doing is renting movies. And uh, as you know, if you've rented a movie from Apple, you get to watch that for about 48 hours after you start playing it for the first time and then after that it's no longer available for you to watch so he was saying hey i've downloaded this movie i've watched it already um i obviously can't watch it again because the 48 hours have passed it got backed up though by my time machine so i want to delete the file from my mac but i also want to remove it from time machine so i can get the storage space back in my time machine about you know movies tend to be depending upon if it's an hd or a 4k movie can be three to five you know gigabytes of data now i would say typically with time machine you really don't need to worry about it i i prefer to let time machine do its thing to manage files in the way it manages that manages them because time machine itself if you if you delete a file on your mac right that's already been backed up to time machine 
One advantage with Time Machine is you can go get that file back. So this is great for accidental deletions, but what about files like this where you really want it deleted, you don't need it back, you don't want it back? You know, Time Machine will uh, keep that file around, but because you've deleted it on your Mac, it is smart about it. It knows that if it needs additional space to back up newer files, it will go back and purge those older files that have been deleted to get that space back and kind of manage all this stuff automatically. But if it really does bother you and you really do want that file deleted out of there from Time Machine. Time Machine does offer a way to do that. You just have to go into the Time Machine interface. So you enter Time Machine and then go to where that backed up file is, the one that you want to permanently delete. And then you can just simply go back in time, find it, right click on that file or control click on it to bring up the contextual menu. And at the top, you should see an option that says delete all backups of and then the file name and you can select that from the contextual menu and that will purge it from your time machine backups completely now be aware you're not going to be able to ever go back and get that file again so make sure what you're doing and if you don't see that option up at the top it can be because if there's only a single instance of that backup file this option won't be available there needs to be at least two uh, sort of backups, two versions of it, uh, two kind of little timeline points with that file. And I think you have to go back further in time to actually find this option. You might not be able to find it from the most recent uh, backup. So you may have to play around with this a little bit, but you certainly can purge older files um, from Time Machine and get space back on your Time Machine drive if you want to do that. And that's how you would do it, Rick. Um, another way to save storage space on your Mac that that's got me thinking about related to movies and TV shows purchased from Apple is to use the optimize options from Manage Storage. So if you go into your Mac under the Apple menu and choose About This Mac and then click on Storage, the Storage tab, and then uh, click on the little Manage button, there's a window uh, that you can see or a section called Optimize Storage. Within that section, if you click on Optimize, the Optimize button, you can review the settings that you have set up for Optimize Storage. And what it allows you to do is for movies and TV shows that you've already watched, uh, they can be automatically removed from the Mac if you turn on this option. So um, it's a way to save storage space because with purchase content right as you are probably aware you can download that again at any time you can go in uh, click the little cloud icon with the with the download arrow and bring that back to your mac and this optimized storage setting you can go back and check the setting and also change later in the tv app preferences so um, if you click optimize what it'll do is purge any TV shows and or movies that you've watched from your Mac, and then you can restream and redownload them, redownload them later. Um, but it temporarily allows you to get the storage space back. If you want to check the setting or change the change this setting inside the TV app, you can also just open up the TV app, go into the TV menu, select Preferences, and then click on the Files tab, and then you'll see a little checkbox. Uh, that says automatically delete watched movies and TV shows. So you can turn that option on or off to kind of toggle it. Um, the one thing to be aware about this is you may not want this option on if you're using a Mac as your sort of download backup location for your purchased content. This is something that Apple actually recommends that you do. We've talked about this on the show because it's not always guaranteed when you make a purchase of a TV show or a movie on 
uh, Apple that it's always going to be available. Their licensing deals change, those sorts of things. So you may want to actually have a backup of all your purchased content. I personally do this. I store all of my Apple media, my movies, my music, my TV shows on my Mac on an external drive, um, have all my libraries there. And then I have that library file backed up via, via Chronosync to my Drobo locally. I also have Backblaze configured and set up to back up that external drive as well. So I have a copy in the cloud. Um, if you change the setting again, it, Apple's going to be managing it and you're kind of trusting your data and information to iCloud and to, you know, Apple and the Apple TV app and those sorts of things. So just be aware of that. But it is a way to free up space locally should you be running out of space on your local drive. So just another option. And uh, again, thanks to um, Rick for sending in his question. Okay, last thing that I have for you in the show today is a thing of the moment. Now, normally I prefer to pick something that I've personally tested and used. I will tell you, this is one that I just ran across on Mac Rumors. I'll have a link to their video about it in the show notes at maccast.com, their article. Um, but I definitely trust Mac Rumors and their opinions. And this product was just too dang cool, in my opinion, not to share. And it's a power accessory that allows you to power your Apple TV using the USB port on your TV rather than having to plug it into the wall. And you might be thinking, why would you want to do that? I actually saw some comments on the Mac Rumors piece of people thinking that this was kind of dumb, that it's not that inconvenient to just have a power strip and additional plugs behind your TV. But, you know, if you don't have that, this is a great option. And you have a couple of things you want to plug into an outlet by your TV, or maybe you just don't like cord clutter. You want all that hidden behind your TV. I think this is a really, really cool option. And basically this little adapter has a cord on either end, one that plugs in to the power port on your Apple TV, and then a USB connector, because many televisions have USB built in, USB connector on the other end that plugs into the TV to grab power. And then there is a little brick in the middle. And I guess this is one of the complaints that uh, some of the people have had was that you still kind of have a power brick. It didn't look too large to me. And that brick actually has the magic bits because what it does is it has a lithium ion battery in there and has some control circuitry so it can draw power from the USB port on the TV, which may or may not be enough power to drive the Apple TV itself. So it stores that extra power in that battery. And then when the Apple TV needs more power than the USB port on your television can supply alone, it can step up, kick in, and provide power to the Apple TV. So it gets a constant flow of power, everything that it needs, and you don't have to plug your Apple TV into the wall. And best of all, this thing seems to be compatible with all generations of Apple TV, except the very first gen, uh, you know, the big white square box. I'm talking about all the little black hockey puck ones. Uh, so second generation of Apple TV and up. Uh, the brick itself has adhesive on it. So if you want to stick that to the back of your TV and clean up all your cable clutter, you can do that. Uh, same company also sells an Apple TV mount. So you could mount your TV back there as well, either to the wall or to the back of your TV. And then just have everything self-contained right behind your television. So I thought this was pretty cool. Wanted to share it with you. You can check it out. I'll have links to it in the show notes at maccast.com. Oh, I forget. I guess I forgot to mention the name of it. It is the Mission 
USB power cable for Apple TV. Again, links in the show notes at maccast.com, but that is my thing of the moment. And with that, that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for uh, sharing all your comments and feedback. As always, uh, bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. If you have comments, questions, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to MacCast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I've talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page, over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But that will do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. Mm-hmm.